Hey guys, when you're experiencing growth in your organization, you can't do everything on your own, and you don't have to. With the help of our friends at Belay, you can simplify your life with an assistant and stop doing it all. For our podcast listeners, Belay is offering their free download of 25 things you can delegate to an assistant today. Just text LEAD TO WIN, all one word, to 31996. Again, that's LEAD TO WIN, all one word, to 31996. Thanks. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt Miller, and this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. In this episode, we're talking about a subject that every two-career household has to face. How do you have two successful careers in one happy marriage? This is the first in a mini-series of three episodes about topics that I'm really passionate about that I'm going to bring some special guests in to discuss these things with me. But today, I'm joined by my husband, Joel Miller, who happens to be our chief content officer here at Michael Hyatt & Company. Hey, Joel. Hey. Hey, babe. Should I say babe? Totally. Joel, I don't know. What's appropriate? I like babe. Okay. We're going to go with that. (laughs) So what do you think about this topic? You know, if you think back... Several generations, uh, there were much more uh, simply defined gender roles, work roles, the kind of responsibilities of what a husband might do or a wife might do um, were just more obvious for people. And in that obviousness, there was uh, just an ability to not even have to think about it. That's not true really any longer, and it hasn't been true for the last couple of generations, maybe, certainly the last generation. I remember when I was a kid uh, having a teacher, uh, a woman teacher, reference the fact that my mom uh, was an accountant, and that was strange because most women were not professionals uh, in their circle. Um, Mm. The fact that a woman could be a teacher was an acceptable job, but it was uh, perhaps odd that somebody might be uh, an accountant. Um, Interesting. Yeah. um, You know, I was young and not really aware of anything. Now that I'm older, I remember that story. Um, and I think that's probably been true for countless women who have had to kind of make their way and figure that out. But not only do they have to make their way and figure that out, but men and women together have to figure out what that looks like in a marriage. And I think that's an interesting topic. That's right. Well, we've certainly made our fair share of mistakes and learned some really valuable lessons over the years. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but today we want to show you how to cooperate on family life so that you both win at work and succeed at life, especially at home. So to help us do that, our writer, Larry Wilson, is here joining us as usual. Larry, welcome. Hey, guys. Great to be with you. Hey, Larry. Just for today, could you guys just address me as Dr. Phil? (laughs) I feel like like this is an episode about couples counseling. I want to say a word, just a quick word to the men in the audience to say, uh, pay attention to this episode because you have an interest here, some interesting research here that uh, couples have less conflict, more satisfying relationships, and more sex when both partners contribute substantially to household chores. So we're talking about <laughs> equity in roles here, and uh, just there are some reasons you want to pay attention. Maybe more than that is that couples have a 48% lower chance of divorce than others when both partners are contributing more or less equally to household chores and financially in the marriage. So some really good reasons to make this work on both sides. 
Wow, that's pretty compelling uh, research. I can neither confirm nor deny that that may or may not have been true for us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you can cut that out if you want to, but <clears throat> there was my, yeah, if you want to get men to pay attention, there's one one good way to I, do it. I'd say leave it in. Okay. There must have been a time when you realized that blending two professional families was going to be a challenge. How did this really come to a head for you or become something that you felt like you need to pay attention to, or was it always? Well, there was kind of a funny story that I think was a catalyst for us in figuring this out. It was not long after I became the chief operating officer here at Michael Hyatt and Company. I don't remember exactly when, but it was really on my mind that we needed to, to divide things up equally and that I was kind of doing that thing that professional women often do where I was over-functioning and I was still trying to be functionally a stay-at-home mom while running a business and that was just not going to work. And and so I decided the the thing to throw down on was was landscaping. And so I told Joel that I, I really needed his help and I wanted him to take over managing our landscaping. We had a, a vendor that we were using uh, or that we needed to use because it was just out of control. Neither of us had time to do it at this point. And so we had these bushes that were kind of on either side of our driveway and they were just really getting out of control. And every day I would come home and see them and I was frustrated. So I said, Honey, I need you to take this over. I want you to call this guy, Justin, and you know get going on it and get him out here and all that. Well, anyway, it turns out that the contractor was slow to come out, and then he dropped the ball. And anyway, eight weeks go by, and these bushes are not getting trimmed. And by this point, I have a Suburban that I'm driving, you know, big car and a kind of narrow driveway. The bushes are hitting my car every time I drive down the driveway. And every time I drive home from work down the driveway, I'm madder and madder and madder. And so it finally ended in a big fight, you know, and, I, and it was just like, I have got to have help with this stuff. You have got to like make this happen. And it was really like a line in the sand. It's a, kind of a funny thing that was a line in the sand. And really, you were doing your best because the guy just wasn't calling you back and and all that, but it was, uh, it was really difficult for us. It was tense and you know, it was only bushes, but sometimes bushes are more than bushes. Sometimes bushes are more than bushes. Yeah. Yeah. That was tricky because, uh, the, the guy, the vendor we thought was the right guy. He had come out, he had spec the job. Um, he had a vision for what the property could look like and that was really attractive. And then he just kind of fell off the face of the earth, stopped returning calls. And it was kind of like, I felt almost trapped. Like we had sort of this soft agreement that we were going to do this. Then he walked away. Meanwhile, your anger is mounting by the day and, uh, and figuring out how to navigate that was just like crazy. And I think for me, what it symbolized was, you know, I I felt like in the end, I still had to own everything. I had to own the thinking and the management of everything on the home front. And I was really overwhelmed and exhausted. And I think that was the core issue. And it just felt really unfair and, you know, inequitable. And so I think that was the the defining moment for us of when we had to start figuring it out in a different level. I think that's right. I think one of the challenges in a moment like that, and one of the one of the things that sparks probably so much of the frustration is that there are all of these unexpressed uh, assumptions or unexpressed uh, feelings or expectations. And until they get expressed, until they get shared, and until they get kind of like objectified and worked on together, they can just kind of spin on their own inside of ourselves Mm -hmm. and then go sideways on each other. Well, today we're saying that executives and professionals who are married to each other can have a strong and successful partnership by taking four actions together. And I think a key word there is together. These are co-actions or cooperations 
And the first action is just what you said, Joel, to talk about it, to make it explicit. Yeah, you know, I think this is one of those things that seems super obvious, but it's actually, it's really not that obvious because we talked at the beginning about some of those gender roles or the assumptions that are socially inherited that drive the way we just think and act, usually without any great conscious thought. They're just kind of like ingrained in us. And so when we approach a problem or a a situation with those assumptions, we don't talk about them hardly ever. Or if we do talk about them, they undergird the conversation and they're never questioned themselves. And so what you end up with there is uh, maybe competing visions for how things are supposed to work that never are actually objectified so you can look at them together. And that only happens because of conversation. Well, I think inherited is a good word for it because inherited is kind of adjacent also to unconscious, right? Mm-hmm, totally. So you inherit this thing that you're not even fully aware of, but it, it becomes the underpinning of your expectations. And that's really what's driving the bus here in the conflict is you have two sets of expectations that are largely unexamined and they're colliding with each other. Um, and I think talking about it can feel overwhelming. It can feel scary. It can feel like there's a lot at stake. Um, you know, for example, I think for men, you know, it could be really easy. If you grew up in a a home where the roles were traditional, you may just assume that it's natural that, uh, your wife is going to manage the home front, even if she's a professional, you know, is not even, um, consciously you've thought that, you know, you just kind of default to that. Maybe she started out as a stay at home mom and then later transitioned into a career, uh, and that can be really problematic because uh, she may be feeling like that's her expectation of herself too at some level, but it's just not not realistic. You know, there's just exactly. too much work to do. Um, and so bringing those things up can be really scary, you know, if you haven't done it before. Yeah. And the truth is that if they're not aired, you just end up with this ongoing tangle of these uh unquestioned assumptions. And because they're unquestioned, they feel certain. So somebody is supposed to be doing this thing. Somebody's supposed to be doing that other thing. Mm-hmm. And because they're supposed to do something and they're not doing it, or they're supposed to do it and they're doing a poor job of it, it ends up creating resentment. It ends up creating yes. a feeling of judgment. Um, it also ends up for the person who maybe is not able to live up to those expectations, creates feelings of inferiority and failure and all of that. And all of that's completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're going for here is an honest negotiation, an open negotiation mm-hmm. of what needs to be done, you know, and how are we going to get it done? But you kind of have to broach the subject first. Yeah. You know, you have to be willing to have that conversation. And very often our conflict avoidance causes us to just want to tough it out. You know, that um, we'll just keep going. We'll, uh, you know, we don't have time to talk about this right now. We've got kids, we've got this project at work. So, you know, you know, I'll do dinner again tonight or I'll take the kids to the doctor's appointment or whatever the point of tension is, but pretty soon it builds up and you've got a real problem on your hands. Yeah. Joel and Megan, here's a concept I want to get your opinion on. Jennifer Patiglieri in her book, Couples That Work, she mentions a concept called couple contracting. And she says this involves in-depth discussions in three areas between partners, values, boundaries, and fears. And she goes on to say, negotiating and finding common ground in all three gives couples borders and direction for the path that they will walk together. And she refers to that as contracting. Mm -hmm. How does that strike you? Is that what you're talking about, making a contract together or a deal? It is kind of like a deal, because if you think about it, all of those 
inherited social norms, they're all deals too. They just right. got struck without your awareness. That's right. And you're just operating in terms of, of that contract. Mm-hmm. So now that that contract is a little problematic to employ, or maybe not even, not even tenable in your own relationship, now you have to kind of like open it up and renegotiate it. Right. I like that idea. I haven't read that book, but I'd like to. And I think those are good categories, especially when you consider the fact that really emotions are... Uh, part of what make this conversation so difficult at the end of the day, deciding who's going to unload the dishwasher and who's going to pick up the kids and who's going to take the dog to the vet. Those are not in and of themselves inherently emotionally charged. It's kind of what we believe those things represent and who should do them and why we think a certain person should do them is where the difficulty is. So I really like that. And I like thinking about kind of a vision for your marriage and your partnership before you even get into this, because I think if you have a perspective of equality that's really big and and kind of exciting, like what could we do together if we were both 100% all in here and, and right. we weren't just pushing stuff off on one person, what would that mean for us? Yeah. I think the other side of equality, which sounds very angular at one level, is generosity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember reading an article by Emily Smith in The Atlantic years ago now called Masters of Love, I think the title was. And it was about the way relationships uh, work in terms of the most successful relationships. They These scholars looked at marriages that were really successful, and they called those folks the masters. And they looked at folks that were not so great, and they called those folks the disasters. And if you wanted to be a master of love versus the disaster kindness and generosity were like the the one operative thing that popped out in the, in these relationships. So when you think about generosity as a part of equality, like I'm going to give in order to help make this work, uh it's I think that's that's the easiest way to approach what equality might look like. I love that and I think that's one of the things that you have done really well and modeled um in our marriage is that you we've been married by the way for just about 11 years. Yeah. We have five kids. Um, so we have some water under the bridge there, but I think that you have done a great job of choosing kindness and choosing generosity when you could have chosen something else. And I think that that goes a long way to building trust for this conversation that we're talking about. And by the way, you know, if you're, if you're thinking, okay, all that's great, I'm in, you know, but how do I start this conversation? Here's just like kind of a few few tips for you. First of all, um, you need to practice self-awareness before you even get to the place of, honey, we need to have a conversation about this. You need to ask yourself, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling that? What's not working for me right now? And get some perspective on your own internal landscape before you show up at this conversation. Yeah, you actually do this well for me, which is to challenge my narratives. I have 62 stories going in my head at any one time, and at least, you know, at least four of them are true. Um, and <laughs> you have a really good way of, of just asking me the kind of questions that enable me to get to that place of self-awareness where I'm, where I'm actually questioning things in a useful way. Um, the real step is, can you do that on your own? Cause you need to do it on your own. Sometimes when you walk into a conversation and you're not self-aware, you know, that's sort of like walking into a room with, uh, the lights off. You're going to like bump into the furniture. It's mm, a good point. Also, you need to assume positive intent in your partner. Um, this is a concept that comes out of one of our favorite business books called The Loyalist Team. Mm-hmm. And it's an idea where you're committed to speaking candidly to each other, to telling each other the truth. Um, but you're doing it from a basis of trust where you assume always that the other person has your best interest at heart, that they want good things for you, that their intentions were positive, even if 
um, the outcome or the actions that followed those things were uh, misguided or problematic in some right. way, which often they are because we're people. Yep. Um, but you know, when you when you look at your spouse and you say, "I trust that you want." what's best for me, that you have my best interest at heart. And even though we're not aligned on this right now and it's not working that I trust who you are, um, even if I don't like what you're doing right now. And that's a really good place to start from. Well, and if there, if you know that there's a pre-commitment to kindness and generosity and that in your partner, then it's really easy to, to trust them. Mm -hmm. Uh, even if, like you said, there's disagreement or misalignment, you at least know that they want what's best for you. You at least know that uh, they want to to give and p- to be generous. If in that moment there's no clear path to that, or if in that moment that generosity failed somehow, that's not a deep crisis. That's just like a circumstantial problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, and from there you need to uh, find a time, schedule it where you're relaxed and interrupted. This is not a conversation to have when you're cleaning up after dinner and the kids are needing to go to bed and somebody's fussy because it's about time for their bottle. Like you do not want to do this in the middle of that moment because no. you're in the throes of the of the conflict itself and you need to have some perspective. So so schedule a time to do it when the kids are taken care of, when you can just be away together in some way so that you're able to focus on it. Yeah, I agree. And then enter the conversation non-defensively. This is really hard. I mean, you have to sort of pep talk yourself before you go into the conversation. And in the conversation. And in the conversation, there needs to be a constant uh, kind of dialogue in your head or a monologue in your head that that's coaching you to not be defensive, to also be aware of where you're digging your heels in, where you're um, inclined to be selfish even. I think that's a big thing here. Yeah. Uh, or where you're just defending your ground. But to come into the, the conversation non-defensively um, and to ask your spouse to suspend judgment and listen to you while you're talking. This is hard for me. You're actually better at this than I am. Um, when I'm like really fired up about a point, I can talk over you. And it takes me a minute to remember, like, just shut up and listen, you know? <laughs> This is a really tricky thing because when you have a sense that you're right about something, you want it to be known that you're right. You want people to recognize that you have a point. You want people to recognize that your that your position is valid. But there's there's also another uh, side of it, which is that you could stipulate anything for the sake of a conversation. And so if you just stipulated the other person's position long enough to hear it out, if you just stipulated it long enough to see what the ramifications were of it, does it really cost you anything? And the answer is probably not. And and certainly what it gets you is the chance of validating the other person in the conversation. And if the other person feels validated, then they're going to come to the rest of the conversation with a sense that they don't have as much to lose or that they may be able to uh, to give on their own. If they're coming from a place of defensiveness, then there's no there's no ground to give because everything you give at that point is is it feels painful. I think that's true. Hey, everybody, Mike Boyer here. A shout out this week goes to Clint Sanders, who left this five star review on iTunes. He simply said, I can't get enough of the leadership lessons from this podcast. Thanks, Clint. We're glad you're loving the show. And we'd love to hear from you, too. If you haven't reviewed Lead to Win, would you take a moment and do that now? It takes just a minute and it helps a great deal to keep the program visible for other leaders. Not sure how to leave a review? Just check the show notes at leadto.win. We also provide a complete transcript of today's show and a list of resources mentioned on the program. That's all at lead2.win. And now, back to the show. So the first action that you need to take together if you want to create a strong partnership in your home to married professionals, talk about it 
And at the end of that time, you should have some clarity about your own feelings and about what your partner is experiencing in the marriage. So action one, talk about it. Now, action two is to focus on equity and not fairness. Now, that one surprises me a little. Focus on equity and not fairness. I always thought those were the same thing. Uh, Growing up, my dad always used to tell me to never use the F word in his house. (laughs) And he meant fair. He said, like, when I, as a child, would say, that's not fair, he would say, don't use the F word in my house. Um, I think fairness... It's like it's an intuitively obvious thing. Um, It's a good thing. I mean, we all love that things are fair, um, unless we could have it be unfair and in our favor, which is probably what we like better uh, if we're honest with ourselves. But uh, equity and fairness, I think, are different. And uh, they happen to be more situational. Equity happens to be more situational. It's more negotiated. Uh, fairness is really about all of those inherited assumptions and whether or not we're living up to them or not living up to them. It's also accounting. I think fairness is accounting. Totally. And equity is more like negotiating in the moment. It, it's, it's more, uh, it's more jazz than classical music. It's going to be give and take, and it's going to be, how can we make this work, uh, for us right now? And it's definitely not accounting because if you're approaching it with generosity, then you're not worried about like how many times somebody did X versus uh, Y or whatever. I think that's that's where you get into like uh, just an impossible situation. And at any, any given moment, it might actually be unfair from totally. an accounting standpoint. Yep. For example, you know, this week you are doing more childcare of Naomi than I am. Yeah. Right. And that's just because of the schedule, the kind of meetings that I have this week. You know, we're still trying to figure all that out with her. Right. And we had a conversation about it um, on Sunday night, you know, just what the week looked like and how that was going to be divided up. And and the you know the best solution was for you to do this week more of it than me. That's not always the case. Yeah. I would say on the whole, it balances out. And I think I think that's what's true. Equity is is balance. Yeah. And fairness is accounting. You know? Yeah, and that's we, a good distinction. And we try not to do accounting. We try to look for balance. Overall, like if you kind of looked at the big trend line, you know, that mostly there's balance between us and that we allow for those seasons uh, when one of us has to step up or step in at a at a higher level. If you were finishing a book project, that might be a time when I would step in more. You know, if somebody's sick, uh, that's another time. Um, So I think you have to create flexibility in the system. And anytime you're talking about fairness, there's a lot of rigidity. And I think equity has space for uh, flexibility. I think that's really true. That separation between accounting and balance is important. Balance definitely has give and take. Accounting just feels rigid. So let's talk about how this is practical for just a second. So, um, you know, when you're thinking about what does equity look like, first of all, you want to consider that you're different people. I mean, you and I are very different. Mm. We have different aptitudes, different needs, different energy levels, different abilities, right? Um, I'm really good at organization. You're not really good at organization. I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> Things like that. And so if you just try to divide all the the household responsibilities with your family and your home 50-50 down the middle, what you're going to do is not leverage the unique contribution that each of you brings to the table. That's true. Um, so I think you have to you know, think of how you're going to divide it up from the perspective of, of your uniqueness as individuals. If you think about it the same way, I mean, just to have a thought experiment, the way you would structure a job, right? Um, you would never just take the group of people that you happen to have, divide all the work evenly and pass it out. 
you, you would look at who is the most skilled to do certain things and assign that that way. Absolutely. Um, so you have to think about who you are individually. And then second of all, you need to think about what season you're in mm-hmm. together as a couple and individually. For example, one of you may have just changed jobs or started a new business. You may have just added uh, children to the mix. Yep. You may have gotten promoted or someone may be sick or pregnant or traveling or under a big deadline. Um, or Launching ha- an entire new business. Right. I mean, there's so many things that change what balance looks like in the moment But again, you're looking for that overall trend line. Yep. You know, we're obviously in the midst of this ourselves with Naomi. Uh, We we lovingly refer to her as the little domino um, because so many things have changed as a result of her coming into our world. And we're having to renegotiate all kinds of stuff on the fly uh, every, every day. And if you're not following me on Instagram, this is our uh, newly adopted daughter who um, is now about seven months old and uh, our youngest child previously was nine. So we stepped back into uh, parenting babies after a long season of pretty independent children. So our whole world, our whole world is really turned upside down. So many In good ways and challenging ways. Yep. The second action that you must take in order to create a strong partnership between married professionals is to focus on equity and not fairness. And the key here is to avoid keeping score. This is not about accounting. It's about creating balance between you. And let's come to our third action then. Make your own rules. You mean you can do that? Well, first of all, I love to make my own rules. (laughs) Anybody who knows me knows that this is one of my favorite things. I think because very often there's a lot more flexibility in the system overall, whatever system that is, than many of us uh, give it credit for. And so I like to come at it from that perspective. Um, But our expectations around household and family roles are, as we said earlier, largely um, unstated, unexamined, and unconscious. And they come from very often the example of our parents, from the culture we live in. For example, if you live in the South, your perspective on these things is probably going to be very different than if you live in Manhattan. Um, and our religious views and those and the views of those around us, not to mention our peers, you know. Um, so if you're a professional woman and uh, all of your friends are stay-at-home moms, that's going to give you one perspective. Or if if you're the husband in a marriage and all of all of your buddies are married to women who are staying at home, that's going to make it difficult to figure this out in that you don't really have good models. You're going to have to make your own rules and figure this out for yourself. Right. Um, so I think that's important to just keep in mind. Well, and, and women have been on the short end of this. I think as the, as the job market has changed, as women have uh, assumed a much larger uh, and a more significant role in the workforce, nothing has changed at home for a lot of people. So right. there's like a baseline uh, problem already in the works there. Right, because traditional household responsibilities very often are still being held by women. You know, that it's still your job to run the family, run the household, run the schedule, run, you know, all the delegations and uh, meal planning and all those things are still held by the wife in a partnership. And that's difficult. You know, that feels intuitively true, uh, but maybe you feel like it's not so true in your home, and it may be different, but uh, the research is that 50% of women and 22% of men say they do some type of housework every single day. I just want to point out 
the gap there that yeah. uh, there's a big difference. It's more than double the number of women who are doing daily chores than men are. So you're right. Things have not changed all that much at home. Also, I want to point out that you said every day, and I would say every hour if you're home. You know, yeah. when I when I think about what's happening in our world, um, I'm doing something related to taking care of our family every hour that I'm not at work, right. probably. I mean, I can't I, think of a, much of an exception to that. I won't dispute it, Megan. I just don't have any research on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what this means is it can leave mom with two full-time jobs. Yeah, totally. You're a full-time executive or professional, and you're a full-time home manager, both of which, by the way, are very important. And I should just pause and say, in no way are we um, demeaning the domestic sphere of life. You know, this is critically important. We talk so much at Michael Hyde and Company about winning at work and succeeding at life, about prioritizing the things that matter most. And and one of the biggest parts of that is your family and your home life. You know, you and I are both extremely passionate about that. I think really what we're saying here is it's so important that it can't just be one person's responsibility exactly. if both people are also earning an income outside yeah, the home you, at a professional level. You can't create a situation where you say it's important, but then you leave it to the last thing that gets done by an overtaxed person. Yeah. Guys, it sounds like you're saying there's no law anywhere that says men have to mow the lawn and women have to do the dishes. Uh, no, there really isn't. I mean, the wow. truth is you can, uh, you could divvy up that work however you decided you wanted to. It's, it's your game. You can write the rules. For example, one of the things that we've done uh, somewhat recently, our kids have a lot of doctor's appointments. We have several kids that have some special needs, which means we have a lot of doctor's appointments or other kind of therapy appointments. And so we have just divided those up. We know yep. we used to either occasionally go together, not very often, but I would do most of those just kind of by default. And we just decided recently, there's no reason to do that. We just need to divide them up because there's too many of them on the calendar. It doesn't really make sense for either of us to have to take that much time out of the business. We need to just, uh, you know, divide them up and it's worked out really well. Yeah. Well, and the truth is, I mean, I love taking Naomi to the doctor. I right. get to show her off. That's fun. Parent-teacher conferences are another mm -hmm. example or other school events. Um, you can divide those up. You can divide cooking up. Maybe one person really enjoys cooking. Maybe it's not the wife. I happen to love cooking, and you love cooking. So, I do love cooking. So we uh, pretty often divide that part up. But maybe one of you really enjoys grocery shopping or other household um, kind of repair tasks. In our case, that would be neither one of us. We both hate that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Um, but there's really nothing that has to stick to a hard and fast rule. I think the important thing here is that you itemize all the things that need to be done and decide who's going to do it because yeah. somebody needs to do it. And if it's, if it's left to a default answer, that's where you get in trouble. And, and those things can shuffle based on the need of the week and those kind of things too. You know, I mean, if your schedule has you tied up till later in the evening, for some reason, uh, I'm, obviously I'm going to step in more and vice versa. So action three is to Make your own rules, and this is your game. Set up a game that you can win. That brings us to the fourth and final action we're going to talk about today for creating a strong partnership in two career families, and that's to offload the tasks you both hate. This is kind of our secret sauce. This is the um, undiscussed, dirty little secret of people who are doing this well that all the things that need to be done do not have to be done by you. Totally. Let me say that again. Yeah. All the things that need to be done do not need to be done by you. And maybe you can't hire everything out that you don't like doing, 
But presumably, if you're two professionals, you could hire some of it out at least. And I would really look at what are the things that you both hate the most. For Joel and I, that is painting oh. or handyman handyman work. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of the times. We've painted uh, two houses now that we've lived in. Yep. And at the last one, Joel said, uh, if we do this again, we're not going to stay married. <laughs> so we decided then and there we were going to hire that out going forward, and we've never looked back. Yeah, I think I actually said, if we do this again, I'll lose my salvation. But <laughs> that's was, even a level beyond. <laughs> it was it was the worst experience of my life to that point. And you can hire a handyman for about fifty or seventy five dollars an hour, and you may think, gosh, but I spend all Saturday doing those kind of projects. That's because you're terrible at it. Well, a guy totally. can come in or a woman can come in and do it in an hour or two. And you just got your life back. This is like so basic and so obvious. It's funny that we don't think about it, but uh, you do this at work all day long. If you have work that you're terrible at, you find other people to do it. That's why we have teams. We hire teams for those reasons. That's why we hire contractors to pick up the slack. That's why we do all kinds of things to get progress on stuff that we procrastinate and that we're not very good at. Why would we not simply do that at home? And when you do, what you realize is just what you said, that there's somebody that can do that job three times faster than you can. And you're going to have to pay them, but the scope of the job is not the amount of time it would take you because all of the pain and all of the grousing and all of the delaying the and all of the, all of the Home Depot runs and all that stuff, none of that's true for that person who you're hiring. They're a professional. So they will come in and do it very quickly and with joy in their hearts. And then you will have joy in your heart. And you'll stop fighting. And you'll stop fighting. <laughs> well, I'll have joy in my heart anytime I'm not smashing my thumb with a hammer. So That's right. Well worth the investment for me. Uh, we should point out that uh, we covered this episode, really Megan did, with uh, Michael on episode 91. We covered this topic in an episode called How to Create More Margin in Your Personal Life. So be sure to check that out. Well, today, we've learned that professionals who are married to each other can have a strong and successful partnership by taking four actions together. Talk about it. Focus on equity, not fairness. Make your own rules and offload the tasks you both hate. And when you do, you're going to feel a lot less stressed when you walk into the door of your own home. So any final thoughts for our listeners today? You know, I just keep coming back to that thought about the masters and the disasters. If you approach your marriage with kindness and generosity as the primary mode with which you're interacting with your spouse, I don't see how you're ever really going to fail. I think if both parties do that and they're assuming that's true about each other, then you can negotiate all kinds of things. And nothing is really all that risky and nothing is really all that fraught. And nothing is really all that problematic. If you just keep that frame of mind, you can kind of navigate through just about anything. I love that. All of this conversation just brings me back to the thing I often talk about, which is that you can define success on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And we are passionate here at Michael Hyde and Company about helping you, our listeners, win at work and succeed at life. Uh, that's our mission. And I think you can do that by defining success on your own terms and negotiating these areas of your life that are seemingly mundane, but incredibly important. And if you'll do that, um, the results can, can be incredible. That's right. 
Well, Megan, Joel, thank you both for really practical insights and I think some great help for a lot of working spouses. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Larry. Thank you all for joining us today. We'll see you right here next week. Until then, lead to win. On Lead to Win, we talk a lot about productivity and making sure as leaders, we're focused on what really matters. But you can't do that if you're trying to do everything yourself, everything needed to run a business on your own. Well, our friends at Belay have been helping leaders like you and me for 10 years. Belay can simplify your life with an assistant. They match busy leaders like you with exceptional assistants and bookkeepers. They do that by having a team searching the U.S. for extraordinary people who have the experience you need. For our podcast listeners, Belay is offering their free download of 25 things you can delegate to an assistant today. Just text LEAD TO WIN, all one word, to 31996. Again, text LEAD TO WIN, all one word, to 31996.